You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. I guess whether or not you formalize a New Year's resolution as, you know, a technically correct New Year's resolution, or whether you've just thought about this year, braced yourself for all that is ahead, whether that might be school or work, or maybe improving the relationship with, with somebody that's been difficult, or maybe resolving some other problem in life, but whatever it might be, perhaps you have informally set forth some goals or objectives for this year. You are hoping that in one area of life or another, something is going to be different this year to what it was last year. It's very, very common for us to do that. And whether we actually write them down, whether we call them New Year's resolutions or not, doesn't, doesn't matter so much. But it is very, very common around this time of year to, to think ahead and to and to contemplate how things might be just a little bit different. It might be that there's a habit that you want to be broken or a character trait that you want to build up, or, or maybe it's becoming more and more the person that you always felt God would want you to be. All of these are, are good things. But perhaps you find yourself also, at this time of the year, thinking to yourself, I can see it, I desire it, I long for it, but how do I get from here, where I am, to there, where I want to be? How do I see that particular change or transformation take place? And sometimes those changes and those things, as you know, wonderful as they might be, they can just seem a little bit, a little bit out of reach, a little bit beyond us, as if to say that that our that Christian life or level of spirituality that we long for is, is up there, way up there on the top shelf, right up there with the cookies out of our reach where mama put them. And sometimes it can seem a little unfair, can't it? It seems like Papa God has said, this is everything that I want you to be, and it's right up there out of reach. Well, that can be a little bit frustrating, and I wish that perhaps somebody had earlier on in my Christian walk explained to me what I hope God will make clear to us through his word tonight. If you do feel a little bit frustrated that that person you've always wanted to be or, or that you desire to be is a little bit out of reach, and despite your very, very best efforts, you still aren't there yet, then, then perhaps God has something to say to you tonight. How do I get from where I am to where I know God wants me to be? Well, Jesus has a very, a very beautiful image of how he would like to help you. And we find it in John chapter, chapter 7, and, and he's talking about streams of, of living water. We'll get there in a moment. But, but in most religions, actually, water is seen as something of a precious resource. I was in Thailand a, a few years ago, and our meetings had finished. We were there for some board meetings. Our meetings had finished on the day of the water festival. I don't know if you know anything about the water festival in Thailand, but, but frankly, it's, it's a day of much rejoicing and throwing water at people. And nobody, nobody at all is, um, is protected from this. So we uh, loaded up our suitcases and so forth, and we, we hopped in this sort of kind of, kind of open-style bus in the Philippines. We'd call it a jeepney. I'm not sure what it was called in, in Thailand. It'd be a people mover in PNG. But it was very open, and, and basically it was taking us to the airport on the day of the water festival. 
And so every time we stopped at the traffic lights, there were people with buckets of water and with huge, the beautiful Thai grins on their faces because they only mean kindness and goodness. They would throw these buckets of water through the open, <laughs> through the open windows of this people mover. <coughs> and we arrived at the, at the airport quite baptized. Um, well, in the history of Israel too, there was a water festival. And it happened at the, at the latter part of what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. At the Feast of Tabernacles, it was perhaps one of the feasts and occasions of, of greatest rejoicing and celebration. It was a time where, in fact, some would turn it into an actual holiday pilgrimage. And, and the idea was a tabernacle means quite simply just a little shelter. It's, it's like going back to the days of, of your crop has done well and you're harvesting it. And, uh, and, and during the, the you know, sort of um, hot afternoon, you'd want to take a little bit of a siesta. And so you'd build this little, little, little shack, a little tabernacle, a place that you could dwell out in the fields. And... And these were sort of makeshift type things. And, and as people gathered in Jerusalem, you, you know, they didn't have condominiums and things like the Gold Coast to cater for the huge influx of tourists, but people would set up these little tabernacles and, and families would gather together. It was a time of, of real celebration. It was a wonderful time. Um, somebody has said, he who has never seen the rejoicing of the Feast of Tabernacles has never seen rejoicing in life at all. It was a joy that accompanied this, this whole um, worship occasion. It was palpable. You could feel it. And it was just a wonderful celebration. And right towards the end of it, there was a particular ceremony whereby the priest would, would come from the temple and, and they would lead a big parade. And in this parade... There was lots of worshipping and flutists and, and so forth. And they'd go down to the pool of Siloam and he would get, get a couple of big jugs of water and, and fill it up. And then again, amidst much celebration, go back up to the temple where there were two large basins. And, and there um, he would pour a, a big jug of wine into one. And, and there was the symbolism of, of just the fruits of the harvest, of giving thanks to God for, for his goodness to them. And then as the water was poured into the other basin, there was a dual symbolism. But this was to, to remember a little bit more his goodness to them and his deliverance, but particularly that of the Exodus. And so, so this was a time in which, which Israelites would celebrate God's goodness to them. And, and of course, water was absolutely so vital, of course, to life, wasn't it? Now, in the midst of all of this, and amidst much speculation about who Jesus was, and isn't it time that you show yourself for who you really are? In the midst of this celebration, in John chapter 7, we, we read this, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this was the day of the water celebration, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's powerful imagery. Can you imagine this celebration, this time of rejoicing, the, the solemn nature of the priest pouring the water into the basin, people gathering around and, and thinking about the goodness of God and the deliverance of God around this time. And in the midst of that, Jesus stands up. People have been kneeling, sitting. Jesus stands up. 
that draws attention to him, and he proclaims these words. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As powerful imagery for a number of, for a number of reasons. One, it would evoke perhaps the memory of, of Ezekiel 47. And just quickly, let me read to you a little bit about, about the river in, in Ezekiel chapter 47. It was a river that would flow from the temple of God, and it was a river that also symbolized life and, and abundance of, of the goodness of God. The man, this angelic figure or um, uh, picture of Christ, brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and, and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was now waist deep. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. This river was, was a symbol of, of, of the life of God coming from the very throne of God. And perhaps at this particular time when Jesus is talking about streams of living water, they are, they are thinking about the imagery that Jesus has just referred to, but the fact that he referenced it as coming from within them. These streams of living water, life-giving water that could only come from God, would come from within them. But how could that possibly be? Does not the water flow from the temple of God? Isn't the origin... Isn't the source of all this water from God himself? How could it be that this water would flow from within a person? And then John goes on with a little bit of a commentary here to explain perhaps what he meant here. He says, by this, he meant Jesus. He meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. What might not have been originally clear is now very, very clear. John understood this. These streams of living water that would come from within a person and, and flow out, this was the very Spirit of God. This was God himself dwelling within a person. And like a, like a beautiful stream, a life-giving stream that originated from God or from the temple, symbolizing the presence of God, this would now reside within you and within me. The Spirit of God coming to dwell within us and, and bringing life-giving water. The gift of the Holy Spirit and, and the Spirit of God within us perhaps means at least a few things to us which we can, we can briefly explore tonight. The first one, of course, is deliverance, salvation is the restoration of a relationship with God. You and I know that God would never you know, dwell in a place that wasn't holy, right? He could only ever dwell in a place that was, was, was fitting his holy character. And, and so through Jesus Christ, of course, we get cleaned up. We're cleansed, we're washed, we're made holy, we're made pure. We all of a sudden become a vessel which can contain the holiness and the presence of God. 
And so the Spirit of God dwelling within us means salvation. It's, it's kind of like, well, refreshing water for somebody who is, who is thirsty. I don't know if you've ever thought of the expression dying of thirst. That became very, very real to, to Bron and I many, many years ago on one of our first trips ever overseas. We may have felt very, very equipped, but our stomachs weren't. And within about 24 hours of arriving in Manila, we'd come down with the most severe gastro that we have ever had. And uh, we had little, little Daniel with us who was 11 months old and, and, and Bron suddenly couldn't even feed him. We were in a really bad state actually, terribly, terribly dehydrated and, and with the fever and so forth. I remember just, just I was delusional, I was hallucinating. I was actually sleeping and, and just thinking I wanted to roll out of my bed into what I imagined was this big vat of water. I was desperately thirsty and becoming becoming more and more dangerously dehydrated. And, and I, was, I remember just having these, these dreams, these sort of fantasy moments of just, I just want to dive into a huge vat of Coca-Cola. I was probably thinking Coca-Cola because right at that point, I just wanted sugar and so forth. And, and then it was, no, something a bit more refreshing. It was a massive vat of orange juice and I was just going to fall into it and drink it up. And I, I was so thirsty. I was so thirsty, and, and Bron likewise. Well, fortunately, um, uh, other friends with us recognized um, the difficulty that we're in and caught a doctor, and, and soon we were able to get the, the particular um, refreshment we needed. Um, but we just couldn't keep water down. And it was just so wonderful when suddenly our, our system started to cooperate a little bit. We got just a little bit better, and we could take just small sips of water. We were so, so thirsty. Well, your soul, the very spirit of you, the, the innermost part of you can be like that. It can be like a sponge that's just been left out in the sun and, and hasn't, hasn't known or experienced water in a long, long time. And it, it wasn't made to be like that. It was made to be soft and flexible and alive. And, and the spirit, the, the innermost part of you, needs to, to be drenched and saturated in, in the life of God himself. And that's, that's where he comes to save us. He, he comes to, to answer that thirst that, that every one of us have for, for something more and to, to bring us to life. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just get us across the line as if, you know, as has... You know, the slogan that has been thrown at Christians for some time, oh, it's all about, you know, um, pie in the sky when you die. No, it's not about that at all. Well, yes, it is in part, but, but Jesus comes to affect the here and now as well. Salvation has a continuing impact on our lives, bit by bit, slowly transforming us to be more and more like God. We sometimes call that sanctification. That's the bit that will get you from where you are now to, to where you need to be. And you might kind of say, I don't believe in, in kind of a good works type religion, just trying to be a better person. Well, amen, because I don't either. I just don't believe it's possible. I believe we need help. I believe we need something more than that. And that's where the Spirit of God, again, comes to, comes to help us. He does more than, than just gets us over the line, washes us clean. He, he, he actually literally is, is like being baptized into him. And, and both John and Jesus spoke about a baptism of the Spirit, about literally being, being dipped and soaked in, into Jesus himself, the very essence of God. 
Paul later talks about, and I've mentioned this many, many times before, but, but being in Christ, but also Christ being in us. It's a kind of a two, two-way terminology, but it is like a, like a sponge that's been dipped in water. And you can ask yourself, is the water in the sponge or the sponge in the water? Both are actually true. It's like the two have become one. They've, they've merged, and that's the sort of beautiful relationship that, that God gives us. He gets us from where we are to where we're supposed to be. Um, I, many, many years ago, um, by one of my very first jobs, I, I did two things. My first paycheck, I, I bought a bicycle. My second paycheck, I bought myself a scuba diving lesson. Um, and it was after tithing, by the way. And uh, um, I, Dave, my, my good buddy Dave and I, we were, went down and we got ourselves some trained to, to scuba dive. And during the training at some stage, I remember watching this video, there were all sorts of places to dive. And you've probably seen on television or documentaries, the Great Barrier Reef and islands and tropical resorts and beautiful places. The one place that I've never dived, that I would love to dive, is it's called a river drift. And it's basically um, um, these beautiful freshwater streams and rivers that, that basically just carry you along. And I've, I've seen somebody video this once with a camera, just going, flying down. And it's like being Superman in a stream. And it's so clear. The visibility was, was a good 10, 15 meters. And, and this, this, I've never seen a stream so clear as this. And you've got your, you know, your self-contained underwater breathing apparatus on, scuba. You've got your gear on, and there you are under the water, able to breathe, and, and the water just carries you along. It's effortless. And so this, this guy that filmed it, I've never done it before, but I just so wanted to do it. This guy that filmed it just had the camera, and, and basically it was just what I could have watched it for hours, actually, long before the tanks were empty. But, I could, but, but just so like Superman just diving and weaving in and over rocks and around weeds and so forth. And it was, there was some danger in there. There's some skill involved and so forth, but it looked like so much fun. It was, I reckon, second best to perhaps flying. Um, and, and given that I don't believe there's any apparatus that allows you to do that exactly, skydiving is a bit different, that's just falling to your death. Um, I, this, this is trumps for me. I would love to, love to one day do it. Well, anyway, I believe that that is, in a sense, what the Spirit of God wants to do for you and me, to get you from here to there. You name the goal. If it's a godly goal, if it's a character trait that you want to develop, a, a particular habit that you want to break, if it's, if it's becoming more and more like Jesus, you name the goal. The Spirit of God wants to get you there. And whilst there is some cooperative effort on your part in terms of aligning yourself with, with God, nonetheless, he empowers you to be able to bring about the change in your life that you, that you so long for. And that he has already planted that desire in your heart to bring about. That's sanctification. That's God getting you from where you are now to, to where you need to be. And bringing about the growth in you to make you more and more like Jesus. And then perhaps the Spirit of God living within us is, is, is not just meant to make us happy and joyous and so forth, but, but God always has a missional purpose in mind. He wants you to so shine like Jesus that others will be just attracted firstly to you to ask, what is it that is so different about you? And then ultimately to Jesus as you explain the difference. 
His simple plan for, for saving the world is, um, uh, has, been, has been beautifully, beautifully put is to make every Christian so magnetic with the love of Jesus Christ that other people are just hopelessly attracted to God. That's what he wants to do through you and I. It has a missional purpose. In Acts 1.8, when, when the promise of the Spirit of God is given, it is so that we might be witnesses. Our life might be a, be a witness to others. They will want to know about that ethical stand that we take on this particular issue or that. They will want to know why we don't go to certain events or we don't celebrate certain practices. They'll want to know why it is that we take the stand that we do in our lives on this issue or that. The more and more the sanctifying work of Jesus within you and I makes us just, just give a beautiful, clear reflection of the, the goodness of God, the more people will be attracted to, to him. In this sense, um, um, if I can use another water image, the Holy Spirit is, is yes, at once like a glass of water, you know, um, delivering you. From, from a near-death experience and, and bringing salvation into you. The Holy Spirit is, is also like a, like a scuba drift. He's, he's getting you from where you are to where you need to be, sanctifying you. And then the Holy Spirit is, is like a lazy river at a theme park. I think I've, I've told you about perhaps one of the most exciting I've ever been to. It was on a stopover in Dubai one time. And quite frankly, um, even though it's a water park, you haven't even got the energy, it's so hot, to walk from you know, one ride to the other. And so they developed this lazy river that connects the entire park. All you've really got to do is sit in an inflatable ring all day. That is, it's a lovely day, to be quite frank. I'm thinking of trying to bring it in at the office. I'll talk to the team about it tomorrow. But it's this lazy, lazy river, and, and you are just sitting in this inflatable ring. And everybody's dispersed around the park. And if this is the ride that you're supposed to go on, will you just kind of steer your way over to, to you know, this particular exit, a little bit like a highway exit? And, and up you go, and, and it carries, carries you up. Um, keep, you, keep your feet out, feet out the way. It carries you up to, you know, the particular plummet from which it's going to drop you. And there you go, and you're on the next ride. Then you enter back into the lazy river again. We should all do this sometime. Do you agree? Maybe as we take Sam to Budapest for his coffee. And so... We, we just had a, had a wonderful, wonderful day doing this. And it, it just reminded me a little bit about, about the wisdom and sovereignty of God's mission, having everybody where he needs them to be. He's got, them, he's got all of us placed. Well, we're going to go from here, aren't we? We're going to be commissioned. We're going to go back out into the world. Do we know where to go? God knows exactly where you need to be tomorrow. He knows exactly who you need to bump into, maybe quite literally, hopefully not in the car, but, but, but people you need to meet and interact with as, as your day goes on. He knows exactly the, the exits you need to be taking because I've got a special job for you to do right here. I just want you to steer off here, away from the main highway. We're going to go up and, and, and you're going to minister and be a blessing for me. He is just so wonderful at mission. It's God's mission ultimately, and he can send and disperse and, and, and kind of manage these things beautifully. And the Spirit of God is given so that you and I can be involved in, in mission. Well, if that's what the Spirit of God is doing, if he's, if he's saving us, if he's sanctifying us, if he's sending us out in mission and, and accomplishing you know, uh, allowing the kingdom of God to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God is doing all of that and the spirit of God is his agent to accomplish that end, we ought to get more of him, right? Is that possible? 
Can you actually get more of the Spirit of God in, in you? I, I, I believe absolutely that you receive the Spirit of God in that moment where you said, yes, Lord, I'm yours. You surrender yourself to him. The Holy Spirit immediately comes and he enters you. That's what, that's what makes you a Christian. That's, that's why we say it's like coming alive again, being born again. That's how Jesus described it to Nicodemus. Absolutely. And yet, you know, life can have an evaporative effect on our lives from time to time. We might have felt like a, like a glass of water that was filled and brimming over with, with enthusiasm for God and so forth. But, but life can take its toll. And sometimes, you know, that, that, that glass of water can just empty a little bit. It's not quite as full as it should be. And sometimes that can be a little bit of a picture of, of how it might be with us. The Spirit of God doesn't leave us. Oh, that would that, be silly. No, of course not. Jesus promised, I'll be with you always. But sometimes we, we may not, in our day-to-day experience, be encountering as much of God as He would have for us. And so... When Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Be filled with the Spirit of God. And it's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. You must do this. And yet it's in the passive tense. You know, you need to open yourself up and let God do this for you. You don't have to strive to receive more of the Spirit of God. It's an invitation, if you like, to, to have more of God because he would like to have more of you. And Paul creates this image. He says, you know... Um, be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't, 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 don't be drunk with wine. The imagery seems to be, you know how too much alcohol might, might control a person. They become inebriated. And, and, and Paul is saying, well, don't be controlled by that. That's just going to depress who you really are. Instead, be controlled by the, by the Spirit of God. He'll bring you to life. He'll stimulate you and bring out the very, very best. In fact, John Stott, in his commentary on this verse, he's quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was literally a doctor. And, uh, and Martin Lloyd-Jones said, said this uh, um, about the Spirit of God and, and this particular, particular verse. I'll find it here. He says, um, actually in um, pharmacology books and so forth, um, alcohol is actually listed as a depressant because it suppresses you. Um, it, it makes you numb. He said, but the Holy Spirit is absolutely different, the opposite. If it were possible, says Martin Lloyd-Jones, to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook on pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and the intellect, the heart and the will. He helps you to be who you were made to be. He helps you to be, be fully, fully human in the most wonderful sense that God intended for each and every one of us. So is it possible to, to have a fresh filling, a fresh touch from, from God, from his Holy Spirit? Absolutely, absolutely. But A.W. Tozer, when he, when he writes on this, he says, but just be sure, but just be sure that this is what, what you really want. He says, Tozer, are you sure that you want to be filled with a spirit who, though he is like Jesus in his gentleness and love, will nevertheless demand to be Lord of your life? Are you willing to let your personality be taken over by another, even if that other be the Spirit of God himself? If the Spirit takes charge of your life, he will expect unquestioning obedience in everything. 
Before a person, Tozer goes on, before a person can be filled with the Spirit, they must be sure that they want to be. Let this be taken seriously. Tozer says, many Christians want to be filled, but the desire is a vague, romantic kind of thing, hardly worthy to be called desire. They have almost no knowledge of what it will cost them to realize it. But on an encouraging note, he says, it is his happy belief that every Christian can have a copious outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a measure far beyond that received at conversion. And I might also say, quoting Tozer, far beyond that enjoyed by the rank and file of orthodox believers today. It is important that we get this straight, for until doubts are removed, faith is impossible. And he goes on to say that don't be scared about this. Surrendering all to God to invite him in to touch you afresh with his Holy Spirit, he says, through it all, he will enfold you in a love so vast, so mighty, so all-embracing, so wondrous, that your very losses, whatever you might give up, that is to say, your very losses will seem like gains and your small pains like pleasures. It's a wonderful encouragement that yes we can have more of God we can have a fresh touch from him we can we can invite the spirit of God to come and and pour himself out into a life that is open and and surrendered to him the picture here perhaps is is one of wanting more and more of of this experience of the river of God, the life of God. You know, it's something that we're going to enjoy one day in abundance. So why not enjoy it now? Here's another picture for you from, from Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. In some of your Bibles, it'll just reference Eden restored. You know, this, is, this is the Eden, the experience of Eden once again being your, yours and my experience. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his holy face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You are destined to have a continual experience of this living water, this life that comes from God himself. So is there more to experience now? I guess the saints throughout the ages have said, yes, 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 there is. Let me go back to Ezekiel 47 for a moment, that invitation, firstly, for the prophet to enter into the stream just ankle deep and then knee deep and then, and then waist deep. And then after that, oh, he dare not take a step because, wow, is this, this massive river. But it was good. This is the river of God. This is the river of life. This is life-giving water. But there is the beautiful imagery of stepping out with God and saying, I want more of you. 
I want more of you. And I, I wonder whether this isn't the perfect way to, to start off 2016. Whatever your goals, whatever your desires and aspirations might be, God can get you there. He just needs all of you. Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what we've been talking about. Essentially, allowing the Spirit of God, who is our life, to have more of us. Perhaps your relationship with God has been just a little dry or a little bit stale. Touching the head, but not the heart. And tonight, God is inviting you to to have more. To encounter Him and experience Him in in a new way and at a new level, a new depth. it is not entirely inappropriate to to picture him in the middle of that stream beckoning to you saying join me join me don't sit on the bank anymore haven't you had enough of walking safely along the bank looking at the water wondering what it would be like to get in there come Join me. Your Heavenly Father only gives good gifts. The Holy Spirit is not to be feared. It's a gift from the Father, a promise. The promise that Jesus gave us before he left. I must go so that he may come. He's the one who can get you from where you are to where you need to be. This is not the first time we've offered a response to or given an invitation to to have a fresh touch from God and by no means if it's not for you tonight don't don't feel embarrassed at all but perhaps tonight it is for you and and if so then I invite you to just stand where you are and we can pray together for a fresh touch from God that he may He may answer you as only you know you need to be heard. So if you'd like to
like to stand tonight just for a fresh, fresh touch of his Holy Spirit. And just as a gesture of openness to God, you might even just want to hold your hands open. Uh, almost like you know that you're going to receive something, that something is going to be, be laid across you. It's a physical gesture, but perhaps inwardly it, it helps you to picture what it is that God is, is doing for you tonight. Heavenly Father, Jesus taught us that, that you're a good father and you know how to give good gifts to your children. You, you don't trick us. You don't play tricks on us. You don't give us bad things when, we, when you know we need something good. How much more when we ask for the Holy Spirit? And I think for many of us standing tonight, we, we know that that you dwell within. We, we know that you have saved us. That's what it means for us to be born into your family. Oh, we have that assurance. We're not doubting that. But we also know that, that over time, we've just felt a need for more of you in our lives. And we want to go deep with you. We want you to, to help us to fulfill all of the desires which we believe that you have planted in our heart as we have delighted ourselves in you. And so we just invite you to come tonight and touch us afresh. You know exactly what we need. We thank you that you love to give good gifts to your children. You love to pour out your spirit upon your children. And so with thankful hearts, we receive all that you might have for us, not counting on the feeling, not putting too much weight on the experience, but in faith believing that you have answered our prayer and given us exactly what we need and perhaps what we didn't even know we needed. You're good that way. Thank you. We pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us as we, as we worship together, as we fellowship afterwards, as we pray for one another and mingle and do all the, all the things that family does. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www dot elthambaptist dot net